Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So today I'm joined by John Hibbs, co-founder of Coefficient, a platform that measures organizational performance from the human perspective. That's the bit I really like, John. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So in my role as a psychologist, um, I like data and I like evidence that things work. Um, and I'm always interested in measures that capture real experience um, of uh, the people taking part um, and provide the right level of detail to inform the what next. So that learning and development. So in other words, things change as a result. But I'm aware yes. that there are so many different types of survey around. The market seems to be flooded with them that it can feel like a minefield for HR or leaders or whoever's trying to um, implement them to work out what they're about and whether they actually drive real change or not. So today I'm really looking forward to unpicking a bit more about coefficient. Yeah, well, so am I. So <laughs> am I. So let's start by hearing a little bit more about who you are and what your company is actually all about. Yeah, great. Thank you. So, um, well, I am uh, 47 years old, about to be 48 in a couple of weeks. Very excited about that. Um, dreadful age. And um, so uh, Guernsey boy, but born and brought up in Guernsey, uh, spent my 20s living in the UK. And I've always had, uh, always started and run um, businesses so I've had about four or five I suppose throughout my career acutely aware of just how powerful people are inside an organization and yeah we talk about business um, as if it's kind of something special um, but it's not in my world it's just a collective noun for a group of people mm -hmm. in exactly the same way that family is a collective noun for a group of people and society and community and government and education mm. and there's a massive massive crossover and i've had times in the past where i've been running businesses where the the, the group of people we had were just fantastic you know it felt sort of like brothers and sisters um of course we made mistakes we're human beings you can't avoid that but when we did we kind of got nobody nobody got blamed um, we picked up the pieces and because I'm also kind of a metrics measuring guy um, mm. I noticed during these periods that everything was better so um, productivity improved turnover improved absenteeism went down etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. Um, and then there 
uh, I've experienced other times where we didn't have such a great group of people. And, you know, it only takes sort of like one or two, and I use a phrase toxic, but I don't mean like yeah, yeah. drastically toxic, but just, you know, marginally difficult people. Mm. And they can decimate a whole group of, you know, maybe even 20. Mm. Um, and then during those periods, everything in the business just became a little bit more sluggish. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, productivity was down a little bit and things weren't getting done. And when mistakes happened, people kind of blamed other people. And and I was very aware that the sort of sense of togetherness, this sense of belonging, um, everyone kind of pulling in the same direction um, is, is really, really important. If you've got like A grade players, they like to play with other A grade players, you know, and if you've got C grade players that are dragging everybody down, it, it kind of pisses everybody off. So um, I would always, uh, yeah, very aware of how important people are. I created a, um, a business model based around that, which I call the Monogy Flow, which actually highlights the, the, the chain of events uh, that you need in a business if you want an outcome it, you've got to do some some work the work um is um comes after the group of people you get around a shared purpose and a shared culture and it, everything starts with with humans so coefficient is really uh, an enabling tool that helps any size organization or or business to kind of just have a metric on where their humans are. Mm. So as, as, and you know this already, businesses are very good at measuring money, aren't they? Their financials and, and sales and stuff like that. Those things have happened. Once, once you measure them, it's happened, it's over. Mm. Like, but what happens at the start of the chain of events? So coefficient could, could be in some ways described as an early warning system. Mm. Um, so you have some metric around how your staff are feeling about the performance of the organization. Mm. Um, and you can really use that, that data to, to help inform the chain of events that end up with your outcomes, whatever your outcomes may be. Mm. I don't know. Am I explaining it well there? Oh, and so you, so actually you're what inspired you to focus, to produce something that focuses on employee engagement and performance really came from your own experience of good and not so good and actually then trying to capture that to make a difference for other companies. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the three founders of, of Coefficient, me and a guy called John and a guy called Luke, um, had all had, you know, we're sort of like middle-aged men. So we all had experiences of the good and the bad. Um, we'd all been in situations where our mental health had, had been negatively affected to some degree. Mm. We realised just how important... Um, people were looking after people um and we had a, a fantastic complementary skill set so um john you've you've met haven't you and you know he's really super clever phd from oxford data scientist i mean he's amazing um luke's got a, a really varied um history in sort of the corporate london world um and he's he's a director for lots of FTSE companies mm -hmm. um and I've, you know, started and, and run a, a bunch of companies and, and I'm kind of the guy who can kind of get stuff done mm. in probably quite a messy kind of way. So um, it's the a three of us together. Yeah, it's, it's a really great, it's yeah, a really great I, combination, yeah. Because I think actually the really good companies uh, who, you know, a lot of uh, great organisations I've worked with, 
that are quite small where they've been where they've got the right skill set so they've got people actually who are very different they come from very different backgrounds which um have very different experience such as you three but you've also had the experience yourself that really drives that passion so you're not going into it to make money obviously you, you want to make money but your your coefficient is all about something that really means something it matters it's kind of it's come from a personal motivation that you want to make a difference you want to make do something for the good of the workforces around around the country or, or around the world yeah absolutely. so i mean there's a there's a shocking stat and you'll know it i'm sure with the gallup global survey of 79 percent of people are disengaged at work or unhappy at work mm. and you know that number is just far too high because what it actually means is that four out of five people are turning up to work purely for a salary and nothing else mm-hmm. and look i know i'm not saying that you know we shouldn't worry about money of course we should it forms part of the fabric of our lives and helps us you know pay our rent and feed our kids mm-hmm. but it can't be the only thing you're doing because if you're only turning up to work for a salary i mean you could you may as well do anything but is, wouldn't it be better for you if you did something you enjoyed and something you were passionate about yeah um and so i think if we can get more people doing more jobs that they're slightly more passionate about, it's mm-hmm. it's better for everybody. So it's better for business because um, your staff end up being more productive. Mm-hmm. But it's also better for society because if you have happier staff, that feeds through into the – they go home every day, right? So it feeds into their families. Mm-hmm. And collections of happy families become happy communities, which is where you and I live. Yeah. right? And it's, and it's also where we go to to get our staff in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, there, there, there's countless reports about how damaging mental health is inside organizations and we mustn't we must be careful not to blame companies and the corporate world for mental health issues um because it's not always their problem like there's lots of things in life that can affect you you mentally but the moment you walk through the door and into your company it becomes an issue that that company's got to deal with mm. um so it's it's just sort of uh, raising awareness in all, all, all of those factors so tell me more about you already mentioned the monetary flow and um we'll get uh the diagram the flow uh, diagram of that in the the show notes that people can see yep. and i love the fact that when um you were explaining it to me recently you showed me you showed us the the original kind of thing you'd sketched out probably on the back yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Or something years ago and now it's come to fruition and it's kind of the thing that underpins coefficient now so tell us describe it a little bit more in terms of how how that model how that flow diagram kind of works yeah so I've I've been really fortunate in my life that I've had a, a fantastic business coach a guy called Les Callas and we've been working together for probably about 25 years and what he's really good at is um conceptualizing complicated things Mm. so um and on the one hand as you know like the world is very very complicated and nuanced but on another sort of like higher level it's really simple Mm. it's it's really simple so you know go for a nice walk be kind to each other you know balance your life and you're you're kind of pretty much there Mm. but a lot of people don't really think high level anymore Mm. Uh, and and one of the very first things that he taught me was about context and content and he just literally drew a line on a piece of paper and said, um, all of the content and stuff you're doing, you must draw under the line. So if we talk about running a marathon, 
Um, if you think about the stuff that you have to do to, to be able to run a marathon, so you've got to buy the right kit, you've got to eat the right food, you've got to go for training runs, you've probably got to, it'd be wonderful if you've got yourself in a little group. Um, now, if you live in a content-based world and you've got to go running at six o'clock in the morning and it's raining, mm. chances are you're going to go, oh, I can't be bothered. My bed's so comfy. I'm going to stay here because you're thinking kind of like in that immediate content world. But if you can raise your thinking above the line to a contextual world, which is why are you running a marathon in the first place? Mm. And usually there's a much deeper, stronger purpose filled meaning why you're doing that. And if you can live contextually, then you're much more likely to get up, get out of bed in the morning at six o'clock in the rain because you're remembering why you want to run the marathon in the first place. Um, and so businesses and life, and, and I use this model all, all the time. So there are plenty of things that I don't particularly like doing um, in coefficient at the moment. <laughs> so you like doing the invoices and the admin isn't, isn't great fun. But when I remember the core purposes of why we're doing this, which is to allow businesses to enhance their performance, look after their staff better, and that's going to trickle down into society. And I'm not going to change the world, but can I can I have a little dent? Can I dent the world a little bit in some small way and make a difference to other people's lives? Yeah, I think probably I can. Well, I know I can already because people have told me that I've had a positive effect on them. And that's amazing. So and it's, and it's a really good that's a really good example of the fact that emotion drives our behavior, not logic. You know, if if you're if when you're thinking about something, if you're having to just logically think about something or emotionally you're engaging with it, emotion will always trump the logic. So actually, yeah, people yeah. have got to understand the why. They've got to emotionally engage with something. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you know that better than, than most, don't you? So the the money flow is kind of a representation of the complexities of running a business, but just drafted out in a really really simple way, mm. and. And it's called the money flow. So money and energy. I've smashed those two words words together in a lovely portmanteau. And um, it also illustrates um, the chain of events. So I learned this amazing word um, only a few years ago called skein, um, which like means a kind of like a, a, a thread, but it also means um, a collection of interrelated um, events in a sequence. And so if you, it's, you know, everybody has a skein. So you've got a life skein. All of your experiences that have led you here to this moment today. And I've got a skein as well, my own thread, which has led me here today. Mm. And at this very moment, Lisa, your skein and my skein are entwined. Mm. And when you wrap two bits of thread together, it becomes stronger, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. So for this, well, now, since we met and going forwards, our skeins are entwined and we're, we're stronger, to, much stronger together than we are apart. Mm. If you can wrap that into um, a business or an institution or something with, you know, in uh, many many threads, it becomes even more powerful. Um, so that is kind of highlighted in the money flow. Now, I, I came up with the money flow probably about ten years ago now, I suppose, and I actually sort of started just with, well, what are the chain of events I need in this business? So I want an outcome, which mm. is money. Money doesn't just it just doesn't turn up. Like you've got to do something to get money into your bank account you have to sell something um what is it you're really selling well i think more and more these days we're selling experiences rather than products or services um 
to let people know you have something to, to sell, you have to tell them, which is called marketing. And marketing is really interesting for me because you can stand on the street and say, hello, I'm John, I've got something to sell. Mm. And it, somebody might buy something from me. And if they do, normal logic would say, hey, fantastic, good job. But what you've got is a transactional relationship. And mm. transactional relationships are not very strong. Mm. Um, what's much better is to stand on the street and say, hello, here I am, and be authentic and genuine about who you are so that you can um you, much much deeper relationships are formed if you can be um honest and authentic about about who you are so people that are walking past will go um yeah i like the sound of what you're saying uh, and come and come over for a chat mm. and then you've built a much stronger deeper relationship mm. and if and then that person's much more likely to buy something from you not mm only because they like what you've got but because they like you as well and then they become an ambassador yeah um, much more powerful yeah um to be able to be authentic about who you are you need to know who you are right you've got to have your own personal brand or a company mm. brand um and this is why brands exist they're just the personalities of businesses um but i would argue that businesses don't really exist in the kind of the same the sentient way that you and i exist right so you know, on one level, businesses are just a bunch of desks and stuff, right? And how can they have um, thoughts and desires and values? And of course, they can't. It's it's the people at yeah. the start of the chain of event that that have those things. Um, so that's really the kind of the core um, starting skein of a business. And actually, I've got a blackboard over here. Um, in my kitchen and I actually sort of started drawing it on the blackboard and I was like right okay so yeah that's how it works and then it you know, well, then what should you do with your surplus cash um, now I was I like reading you can probably tell because I've got a massive uh, bookcase behind me um, and I read once um, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations I don't know if you read it I, it's like the most boring book ever on the planet it's like almost impossible to to get through but he talks he, he really sort of like founded capitalism right and um capitalism's become a dirty word which i think is unfair because what capitalism says is when you make surplus cash in your business what you should do is you should employ somebody to help you mm. and then they that person can actually help you make more money um and so with the money flow, what you should do is you should reinvest your surplus cash back into the start of the chain of events by looking after your humans. They're the most important part. Mm. Um, incidentally, I think capitalism's got a bad name, but it's not really capitalism that's got a bad name. It's greed. Like it's mm. it's just people have misused capitalism and 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 been greedy, and that's really where the problem stems. Mm. So reinvest your money back into the start of the chain of your humans you know around belonging making them feel emotionally safe giving them a secure future loving them i don't mind using the word love in business i've got no problem with that because yeah, the thing is human beings we love to feel love don't we and, yeah, and, and love to give love back in return mm. um and then you've got even better humans feeds through into their skein of events ends up you know even more money mm. but the added benefit of course is if you work for an organization like this you're you're much more likely to be happy and positive yourself. And you go home to your um, families. And I remember I was doing this with, with my wife and I was going, yeah, so if you work for an organization like this, you're going to be a happy human. Um, then you become a happy family. And I was like, oh, is that really where it ends? And she was like, well, lots of families become happy communities, don't they? 
Mm. And I was like, oh, yes, you've nailed it. Um, and so we added in happy communities. So, um, and that's kind of how it was born. Which I love because for me, you're talking about um, connection, emotional connection, and um, it's, it's very much the people, it's the emotion that we all need to drive us and to motivate us on a day-to-day basis. And you're that, and that's what I love about that diagram in that, that it's all built around people being happy. And I think now that there's a much greater acceptance that that isn't, that's necessary in work. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer that kind of fluffy thing on the side, but it's something that, you know, it's, it's obvious if we have happy people, they can be more productive, they can be more engaged. Um, I, I think it's really interesting when you're talking about people putting their, companies put their surplus cash back into their people because I can imagine for some people it's that sense of what do I do you know rubbing their hands mm. do I invest it back in or do I take the extra cash and go and enjoy a really nice holiday or something you know how, how do we use that and I think again the, the amount of data now around if you if you plow it back in the difference that can make to the experience the data experience and then what then comes out at the end um, mm. phenomenal and and people there, there will still there will always be people who are like people just have to get on with it and be tough and just crack on it's a job and they should you know um they're getting paid well and you know they can still put it down to money but actually it's far more than that and I think there's a real acceptance much more of an acceptance now that the experience as a wider whole is is um is actually what people need to focus on yeah and there's kind of like an unbalanced unbalancing in the world at the moment so i don't know if you knew this but i think it's the eight richest men and they're all men in the world uh own as much wealth as like the the poorest three billion or three mm. and a half billion people um which doesn't seem entirely fair to me mm. and money is flowing disproportionately to, to these wealthy people mm. and um you know that could be a symptom of the internet i don't know or whatever um but that puts an awful strain on society because poor people um can't pay taxes and the very rich don't pay their fair share of taxes either either which means that it's us in the middle classes that have got to pay taxes but if we're if more and more of us are falling into poverty or being poor we can't pay taxes so we and and we see this at the moment um like the the tax spend as opposed to the tax take is, is that gap is widening, mm. um, which puts an awful strain on society, um, and it it's a real privilege I think to be able to pay taxes um, because the the unwritten or not talked about agreement is that all the wealth in the world is created by business. Government's job. And business and government are just two words for groups of humans, right? Um, <laughs> government's job is to create the environment to allow businesses to thrive. So they educate our people, they look after us when we get sick, and they provide all the infrastructure for us to communicate effectively mm-hmm. um, and to kind of enjoy ourselves and fall in love and have meaningful relationships and et cetera, et cetera. So um, if you've got companies that aren't paying enough tax, the, the job of government becomes harder and harder um so you know and then we have, have we and I, i've i've seen this in my life more and more and more charities are like being created to kind of pick up yeah what what should be the role of mm. government right and um and then also we 
we see things like technology and technology is brilliant, but um, technology is putting people out of work. And we see this in, in the supermarket. So um, at the supermarket, now you've got those, those automatic tools where you don't have to speak to a human. You just go along and scan your own items. Mm. I never use those, never. Because every time you use one of those, you've put someone else out of work mm. and you've contributed to that money flowing towards those rich people and away from those poor, poor people. Mm. And um, so um, it, it's, it's just an interesting concept, I think. It is. And I think it's interesting about supermarkets because actually the number of times you go through those machines and they'll beep, something doesn't work. So, you know, you need to get a member of staff over anyway. And actually yeah. it just leaves you feeling frustrated. Whereas if you go and speak to someone who helps you and there's a bit of a chat and there's a bit of connection and, you know, it's you leave feeling better. And it's just... Uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and Amazon have taken it to like the, the nth degree, haven't they, with their shops with no staff at all. You just mm. pick stuff off the shelves and, and walk out. Mm. Um, so, so, I mean... You, you've read lots of the sort of very prominent reports that have been produced in recent years um well i've read some of them i wouldn't say lots well, of them you, you've you there, there are a number in there that i that when we were talking before i was like yep yeah, i read that read that read that and yeah. they're, they're the ones that have kind of um been circulated their findings quite widely in terms of um this is stuff that we really need to be taking account of so it's rather than just people like you and i saying we all need to think about this stuff we've got some a sort of pretty big report saying these are the important things we need to to be looking at because these really make a difference and we've got lots of research that shows that and you from looking at a number of those reports have identified sort of kind of key common factors that go across them so I'd be so I'd be really interested to know sort of well perhaps actually which reports really stood out for you if there are any that you particularly want to draw attention to but actually particularly what you discovered in terms of what those common factors were that really underpin successful companies yeah so well I suppose my my favorite of all the reports is the thriving at work report which um the UK government commissioned this is pre-pandemic which really outlined just what a problem uh mental health or poor mental health is in inside workplaces and it is I think you read it as well it's a it's a really good report actually Mm. um not uh, easy to digest and um, anyone can read it mm. um off off the back of that um and we did quite a lot of work around uh using corporate governance codes and a, a lot of sort of the, the latest business thinking from you know all over the place you know harvard and mckinsey's and, and lots of different places we actually realized there was 19 um or categories that we call them mm. around sort of like a, a well-run human-centric business um don't ask me to name them off the top of my head because i won't remember them all but they kind of go through things like accountability and belonging and emotional safety and there's some very human-centric ones in there and you know purpose and values but there's also some other um more businessy type ones um so things like risk and you know uh, strategy and training so those are the, the types of things that we can measure. And then we've, we're pretty clever with how we measure it. So, for example, we would never ask a question. Um, let's take purpose, for example. We'd never say, do you think your company's got a good purpose? Because that is just too broad a, a question to ask. But you can break that down into, um, is, it, is, 
is there a company purpose? Is it defined? That's easy to answer. Mm. Um, if there is, is it easy? Is it frequently communicated? That's quite easy to answer as well. Um, do you think it's relevant? Um, and so that's kind of like how we build up our scores. Mm. Um, and some of those things are then cross kind of tagged with other categories. So we've got a communication category. So is your purpose um, frequently communicated? That's obviously a purpose category question and a communication question. So, and just like any sort of team uh, inside an or a human team, everything is kind of cross-contaminated with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's kind of like how the whole system works. It works, um, you've got a set of questions, they're all tagged with a various combination of different categories. Um, and then we work on comparisons. So giving a company a score or giving you a score or anybody a score is pretty meaningless. So if I said, oh, Lisa, like, we, we've measured you and you know you, your score is 68. I mean, what the heck does that mean? It's like nothing. <laughs> um, but if I say to you, well, your score is 68 out of 100, okay, now you're starting to go, okay, right, 100, like good and like zero is bad. So I'm kind of like above halfway. Mm-hmm. But if I said to you, well, your score is 68 and everyone else we've measured is 72, you're like, okay, now it's starting to be really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and But even better than that is to say, well, everyone else is 72, you're 68, but last uh, six months ago, you were 65. You're like, brilliant, I am heading in the right direction. Um, so this is one of the, the benefits, I think, of our platform is everything is a comparison. Mm. And also in terms of comparison... I remember you saying that your data is showing that there's a disconnect between what often leadership might say in a company and then what the rest of the workforce will say. So that's a really interesting comparison. Yeah, and we see that all the time. It is amazing, amazing the difference. Um, I kind of had heard reports of this being the case, but to see it in in what well, green and red is our colors so seeing green and red is is amazing and um well you've seen our, our dashboard haven't you so you and you've seen this as well we have a, a, a sort of bar chart with the uh, these 19 categories and then the five mental health categories as well and sometimes it looks like two totally different companies mm. like the the leaders are literally scoring things in sort of like you know 90 95 percent 100 percent and then the employees are floating around like the 40s and the 50s and there's a lot more red Mm. um and it, it must be remembered as well that you know sort of our platform is not the silver bullet it's it's not oh well you fill out this you know did get your staff to do the survey and everything's better it's it's a start of a process but it's a start of awareness and you know are those leaders even aware that other people in their company are feeling drastically different to them mm. um we we don't know um, so to to highlight that is 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 excellent. So so tell me then, like you know, you've got the data, you produce the data, the company has the data. Yeah. So what next? So because I, because you're right that it's it's not that's not the end point, is it? In terms, no, of, no, I mean, it might be no. for your company, but how do you see this informing a bigger plan? Because that's you know an issue for lots of. Um, lots of companies who use various surveys is they get all this data and then they don't really see anything happening with it. That's a really great question. And this is one of the things that um, surprised us as well. And, you know, we're a young company and we're small, so we can pivot quickly. Mm. And when we first started working with customers, um, they would say to us, God, this data is amazing. 
I can't believe what I'm seeing here. This is absolutely fantastic. What do we do with it? Mm. And of course, that's a, a much harder question. Mm. And and as you know, just like there are differences in humans, there's different businesses, aren't there? There's a million different businesses with a million different cultures and a million different leaders and a million different ways of doing things. And we never felt totally comfortable uh, in suggesting how they should interpret the, the data or how they should interpret the data for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very good at, at analyzing the data. That's that's like our bread and butter. Um, so we we sort of pivoted slightly and, and we often, 90% of the time, we work via business consultants and coaches who already have the relationships with these organizations. Mm-hmm. So they can go tailor what the information is saying to an action plan suited specifically for that organization. Um, And that seems to be working really well. And I think that's that's a great connection, isn't it? That's the best that I think lots of companies in the past have missed out because they get this data and then it might look, it might look overwhelming or it's um, like I now need to focus on that, but actually I've got something else coming, landing on my desk. That's a bigger priority or how do I get the right people on board? Or there's just so many things that can get in the way. And then of course, as soon yeah. as it doesn't happen, that's productive and people, you know, the results are communicated to the, the across the organization. And then the what next is communicated well and people seeing a difference. If that doesn't happen, then the next time you run your survey, people would be, you know, people are more despondent. It's like, well, what's the point? So yeah, ex- exactly. The right person driving that, you've got to have somebody who's got a relationship and who can interpret it and who can then say, actually this is something you can just you you can get on and make these changes quite simply or you know it might be that your managers need a bit of extra coaching around something or you know you've got to look at your systems or whatever it is but yeah having someone yeah. to help shape that I think is really powerful yeah um it's it's well it's very important isn't it and like you say a lot of companies or a lot of people inside organizations get busy doing their day-to-day work mm. And you know that's great because if you if you work today, you're making money today um, inside an organization. If you're on the factory floor, for example, um, but what a lot of companies sort of forget about is they forget about their future, and they get very busy doing the work they've got to do. Um, but the, the best companies do make an investment in their future, and they have somebody maybe um, thinking more about strategy in the long term future, and they need people like that to to hold the company to account of like, well, how are we going to move forward and how are we going to progress? Because you know, if 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 you're not progressing as a company mm-hmm. and improving, you may as well be stagnant. And, and actually it's, well, sorry, no, it's not stagnant. It's worse than that because everybody else is, is moving forwards. <laughs> so if you sit still, you will very quickly um, fall behind. So you've got to keep thinking about the future and keep moving forwards. Yeah, and I think when companies also tie in, you know, you're using the data and the data's linked with their key performance indicators. You know, as an individual, when I'm um, having my, I don't know, my appraisal or I'm looking at my targets or how I'm being measured, um, actually to, to you know, if, if managers have something around knowing what the data was or leaders and it's about actually mm. got to get our scores, if we're a 60 five now we're 68 now we want to get it up to the 72 actually that's what i'm going to focus on it means you're actually focusing on the people aspect of your business yeah and you're you're you've got the data there to inform where you are now what you need to get to 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you, you, and it's very easy to tie to tie the two in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you can tie it to uh, staff retention, you, your internal performance, um, turnover, profitability, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the two should um, sit hand in hand. So an improvement at one should trickle through into an improvement in the other yeah. over time. You know, I've worked in um, in sales before and there's a sort of a, a chain of events there, isn't it? So you, you, on the one hand, you're measuring kind of sales, mm. but then there's a load of work that happens before that. And it almost sort of starts with cups of coffee with people. So we used to measure how many coffees are we having with people. <laughs> and that then became the indicator of how successful we were going to be in three to six months time. Mm. Um, and now, wouldn't it be fantastic? And this is I have experienced this in the past where you're measuring, you're not measuring money, you're measuring other stuff. And the money just seems to just trickle in without you even trying. Mm. And it, it's just a lovely shift in a sort of a mindset yeah. um, that actually, yeah, there's plenty of money, it's trickling in, I don't need to worry about that. I have, oh, that makes me feel good. I'm doing really well there. I don't need to look at that for another month, mm. um, but I'll measure how many coffees I'm having, for example. Mm. I like that. So who is responsible for implementing measures around employee engagement and performance then? Because it's this sort of stuff I'm aware is often passed over to HR. And mm-hmm. I wonder if they're always the right people. Oh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? I think we should start this conversation by saying we love HR, don't we? Absolutely we love everyone in love HR. It. No, and actually I work mostly with, well, when I say I work very much with HR and leadership and actually there's often a crossover. But I think yeah. it's interesting when people just say it goes, you know, you use the word cross-contamination earlier on um, and about, you know, you and I both know that actually everything overlaps with everything else. You've got to join up all the yeah. dots. Yeah. It works in silos. But I often see that, you know, some an HR person over here gets the job of doing the employee survey, getting the results back, thinking what's going to happen with them. And then it's kind of left to that individual to to change everything about this culture yeah. um, which I have concerns about um I just think it's 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 fraught with um problems because you haven't then got the leadership driving it and so when yeah. the HR and leadership work together um it, it's obviously much more successful but I think too often still people put the idea of surveys into that's an HR job rather than actually the data that's being produced rep- is, is about a whole company it's about a whole mm-hmm. yeah it is yeah how we do things why we do things it's like what we are all about and that's not just for me that's not someone's role over here it's got to be driven from the top and across that organization mm. yeah you're I mean, absolutely spot on aren't you there are a lot of organizations that um silo people mm. um or they pigeonhole people and they're like, oh, we need some HR people to write some contracts and take care of some disciplinaries. Mm. We'll advertise for that. We'll get the person in that job. Or we need some IT people. We'll get some specific IT people in there. So you end up with um, you know, people who are masters in their in their own very narrow sphere. Mm. And what I would like to see more of in business and in life is, is you know, sort of like people who are a bit more jack of all trade um, type people that have got a, a sort of a, a broader spectrum across businesses and institutions because you know you, so often in life you can see something that's happening over here and plug it into something that's happening over there and actually make that thing over there 
yeah. uh, slightly better. But you don't have that knowledge if you are literally focused on what your job is. Exactly. So um, we we do talk to people in 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 HR, and but you we like to talk to people who have kind of got a bit of a wider experience um, and a, a broader view of what's going on. Mm. Rather, this is not just a staff survey, tick the box. It's not, coefficient isn't even really staff engagement, really. It's it's more about understanding the performance of your business from the absolute best data source that you've got available to you, which are definitely the people inside your organization. You know, they're working on it every day. And they've got, uh, most of your staff want to, to do a good job. They want to see the business succeed. They want to feel they're part of something that's growing. They've got amazing insights and knowledge to to give to you. They just need a platform to do it. Mm. So you are, I mean, you're you're very good at looking at uh, how to make those connections and looking at the big picture. And um, you're doing some work with Guernsey Mind. So yep. because you're, you've incorporated mental health um into this uh into the platform as well so tell me more about how you see uh you know how you're linking up the everything to do with performance with the mental health aspect yeah so um so Chris from Guernsey Mind is, is actually sort of almost like my my semi younger brother. So we were neighbours growing up, and I'm mm. you know I'm a bit older than him, and we used to play football together, and um, I, so I've known him a long time, um, and he's doing you know, a great job um, in Guernsey Mind. I went to talk to him about um, the coefficient, and he said, "Oh, you know, this is this is amazing because they were building um, like a partnership program." Um, to engage with local companies, but they had no way of measuring where the companies were, um, tracking their progress. So we worked together with them to develop a set of mental health questions. Um, it's actually plugged into the, the coefficient platform um, at the moment as well, because like you say, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are providing the metrics for them. They are providing all the support. So when companies run this, this software, if the mental health and this is very it's a bit more nuanced than this but very simply speaking if the mental health metrics flag up red you know mind sweep in and do what they need to do Mm, i talk less about mental health now because people are like put me in a mental health box like i just deal with depression and anxiety and all that stuff it's like no no no, actually if i if, if i help you with the factors that will impact on that in the organization a bit like you said earlier as soon as you walk in that door of an organization they have a have a sense of responsibility towards how they're supporting you or not with your mental health so actually if we can all those other aspects then as a result people's mental health will improve um rather than let's target all the people who are struggling with their mental health and work backwards for me that's going the wrong way up the river (laughs) yeah it it is i mean think about really silly examples that happen all the time but there are countless business processes that don't work very well Mm. and when they don't work very well they piss people off and when people are pissed off they're much more likely to snap at their colleagues Mm. or not help them when they've got a problem Mm. and the moment you snapped at a colleague because you're pissed off about something else and they snap back and then that becomes a thing right A, a, a an annoying thing that oh like jason was moody with me 
bastard or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And lo and behold, it's like, well, if you had ironed out that crinkly process, you would have avoided all of this additional noise that has now <laughs> befallen you. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting when you really start analysing things. So what are the sorts of things that you think leaders should be thinking about differently now? And this is a question I'm asking all my guests. Uh, I think leaders really need to be thinking a lot more broadly about life and understanding that life is just a bunch of connections and their their role uh being a leader in a business is is a, a huge responsibility isn't it i mean if you let's say you've got 25 staff chances are you're actually enabling maybe 100 people you know 50 adults and 50 kids to to survive and to live and to enjoy their life in some way now that is a massive well i use the word responsibility it's not it's probably a, it's a privilege really mm. um and you've got to start thinking i think more in those terms that you're a player in a really important player in this grand human drama that we all live in right and um it's not all about making money and shareholder return it's not it's it's so much more than that do you think that companies are really getting on board with that because there's there's been a lot of talk around that now and i wonder if it's a bit like um you know people talking about well-being a lot during the pandemic or whatever where people say yeah yeah we hear that but really secretly behind our doors <laughs> we're going to carry on operating in a traditional way do do you see there do you see people grasping yeah. that different yeah. way of yeah. thinking of, of, of course, of course. But it's like we're talking about generational change here, aren't we? Mm. And that doesn't happen quickly. Mm. But, um, you know, we're, we're sort of about the same kind of age, middle agey bit. And exactly we. The same age. <laughs> oh, are we? When you said it's a rubbish age, like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, so. The I I know a bunch of guys are older than me that mm. that do not think in the same way that I think, and they, and they think, in fact, they go, "John, you're mental." Mm. But I know a bunch of younger people that all go, "God, I really like what you're saying." This is yeah, I agree with that. Mm. And it's those younger people that are going to start taking over our companies yeah. and start running things. Um, and um, I'm just reading this amazing book actually at the moment called 13 Ways to Kill Your Community." Ooh. Um, and um, it could be it could be titled 13 ways to kill your business, right? And um, and they say you, you don't. One of the things you could do is just don't engage your youngsters. So um, they're just so important, and they're not the young. Shouldn't be called the young. They should be called the future, really, because that's exactly what they are. And we're seeing more and more and more people come through. And yeah, you, know, you and I both went to school, and um, we've both got kids now that go to school. And I'm amazed at how kind and caring uh, and um, sort of open to change my kids are compared to probably how I was, and I'm embarrassed to admit, um, and my cohort when I was at school. Mm. You know, they're, they're just like so matter of fact about things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, such and such has got, you know, Asperger's or something. Yeah, no problem. He's, yeah, it's fine. Absolutely fine. Whereas 
it was a very different scenario when we were youngsters, wasn't it? So would you have any advice, John, for how to speed that process up uh, going the other way? So in terms of like, rather than just be have to en- look for a way to engage the younger generation, because they're the ones who are going to be our future leaders, are there ways that our younger generation, so I'm talking about workforce people, yeah. can actively engage these older people who are a bit stuck in their traditional ways of thinking and ways of doing things to say, come on, get on board with this because this is really motivating and it's meaningful and it fe- it just feels good um, as well as obviously delivering the results. So is there a way we can kind of look upwards in terms of up the hierarchy to engage people more, more quickly? Which is obviously the golden question because that's what a lot of companies struggle with. They're saying, yeah. yeah, I work with lots of people who say, come and help us, I don't know, change the, you know, how we do things in our leadership team. We're not very aligned or we want to look at how to um, change this aspect of how we do things in our um, in our organisation. But the resistance is coming from the older people who just don't see the need. And obviously, obviously those older people are, well, they're often on the leadership. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, you've then got those, you've got those people kind of digging their heels in saying, we don't need this, we don't really see it's important. And you've got Mm. the younger generations uh, who are really buying into this, but they are not the people who make the decisions ultimately. No, they're not. And of course, you know, what you and I have got, which youngsters don't have and youngsters can't have is experience. Mm. And and there's no fast track for that. Yeah. and I think actually, you know, we are seeing more boards with youngsters coming into the boards. Um, and, you know, even if they're sort of maybe poo pooed occasionally by the uh, older set, I mean, they're still there and it's still uh, a, a shift in thinking. Um, fast, fast tracking experience is very different. It's almost impossible. Mm. So, um, and I mean, as you know, a lot of decisions are not rational decisions they're emotional decisions and they're they're taken based on a history of life experiences and so to to change that is not it can't be done quickly mm. it's a fine um, line isn't it towards you know lots of people uh well, there's been lots of conversations i've had some of the conversations around diversity on leadership teams and actually if we can focus on making more making leadership teams more diverse and that's not just um you know color of our skin or our gender or whatever it's about age it's about the way we think it's about you know yeah. how our brains like look at every aspect that we can um, be diverse on if we look at that then you automatically have more creativity and just mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. of thinking and challenging what has been the status quo you know rather than just this is how we do things we've always done like this actually having different people coming in and presenting their view and starting just to just those start the conversations just those challenges it's just beginning to introduce new ideas and but it's having the voices at that level isn't it mm. yeah no, uh, absolutely it is i'm going to move on to a blind question that yeah, oh yes my blind yes i'm really my, excited one of really my excited. Uh, guests jem ellison has asked what advice would you give your 10-year-old self about what happiness means? Okay, so happiness is the journey, it's not the destination. And I know that sounds really, really cheesy, but it's it's 
it's true. So find things that you enjoy doing purely because you enjoy doing them, not because it's going to get you somewhere. Um, and it, it took me a long time to realize this. So I, I, I played golf when I was a kid, but not to any good, good level. But when I turned 40, I was like, right, I'm going to start playing golf now because I'm turning into an old man. And, um, and I want something to do when I'm retired. So my goal was to become a single figure golfer. And I worked really hard and I loved it. I loved practicing, loved it. So I'd get up in the morning and I'd go putting and I'd go on the way home from work and do the driving range every day. Um, and it became almost sort of like my meditation time because you're doing a very rhythmical movement again and again um and i said right when i become a single handicap golfer you know that i'm gonna i'm gonna i would have made it i'm gonna get myself a new set of clubs it's gonna be brilliant and i very quickly became i think i went sort of in a season from about 18 handicap down to nine um and i felt not drastically empty but i felt well this is an anticlimax um because the, being a, a single figure golfer at that point was just well that's just normal um and i realized it was actually just all the practice that i love doing mm-hmm. and and the playing golf and the going through those routines so um yeah i, I think it's you know you set yourself a set yourself a target because it's good to know where you're going but mm-hmm. don't think that that target is a be all and end all and when you get there life is going to be magically better because mm-hmm. it won't be yeah i like that it, that really resonates because i have quite a lot of conversations with people about goal setting and whether we like goals or or don't like them. And it's that sense of, I've always got to have a goal and I've always got to be, you know, trying to do the next thing or trying to achieve the next thing. And actually sometimes it's nice to say, I'm really happy where I am right now with just the practicing my golf or whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying the journey. I'm going in a vague direction. You know, I might know kind of this is where I'm heading, but I haven't got a particular end point. I have to achieve by a certain date and putting the pressure on myself. And, you know, it's just about yeah. enjoying, but we, we tend just to keep plowing on at quite fast speed, always trying to achieve the next thing rather than going, Oh, I'm actually really proud of what I've achieved. And I'm, in, and I'm enjoying where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, you really got to in, enjoy it. And, um, and also, you know, when you, when you practice stuff and we practice stuff all the time. So, you know, I'm not talking about practicing like practicing mm. piano or practicing mm. sports, but you know, just practicing life. Mm. Just enjoy it, and 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 also, I think this is maybe getting a bit deep. <laughs> Remember that there's life is wobbly, right? And um, so there's going to be some ups, which are going to be great, mm. but there's also going to be some downs, mm. and you're gonna you're gonna live your life, and there's going to be some horrific downs, mm. um, probably. And don't be afraid of those um you let them come sit with them and kind of acknowledge the sensation Mm. because if you don't have these these dark shades in your life you can't really appreciate the Mm. lighter shades Mm. and um i think you know the the bad times the dark times help you become uh, a better more nuanced person and I give you those experiences to be more compassionate or more empathetic to others um and help shape you as a, as a human and and you know give you a great life mm. it's a sense of perspective isn't it um which you you know if you if if your life just glides along one level you, you'd only have that view actually you need yeah. downs to go oh there are other ways of experiencing my life I actually posted recently on um, LinkedIn about 
actually being unhappy is okay sometimes because we we always have this notion of everyone's supposed to be happy all the time you've got to cheer each other up and it's like actually sometimes if we're if we're feeling in a bad place because something's happened actually just sit with that for a while and just accept that's where you are if it goes on for too long then obviously you need to do something but we've got to we've got to stop this kind of got to fix everything approach um yeah yeah and you know feeling bad doesn't last forever no um of course it would be impossible to tell a 10 year old this because they wouldn't they don't listen <laughs> and this is where the problem lies um, <laughs> that's what you both know <laughs> yeah yeah john thank you so much for this conversation i've i've just loved the, the way it's just kind of um just traveled it's just it, we haven't had a particular right we've got to cover this this or this it's it's just been nice conversation just exploring some of the really key core aspects of business that are so important and i think i think you're right more and more people are aware of this the younger generations are definitely aware of this but i think the more we hear these messages from different people who have lived and breathed it and who are committed to making a difference now in companies i think that's really powerful so um so i'm very grateful for your time thank you so much well thank you and yeah i've, I've loved every conversation we've ever had and, and this one is no exception so thank you thank you for joining me on the beyond the water cooler podcast what's the one thing you will take away from this conversation to think about or do differently i'd love you to join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things i'm developing including free downloadable resources the link to sign up is in the show notes i hope this episode has got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to the people you work with and how well you and those around you are engaging and thriving. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this episode. Or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. Email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the notes. Before next time, please give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. Let's spread the messages far and wide. Bye for now.